Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, August 3rd. We begin with an update on the war in Ukraine, specifically the Canadian response when it comes to sending weapons to fight the Russian aggressors. We discuss the topic with Global News correspondent Ashley Stewart and ask the question, are we doing enough as a nation? Next, it seems to be the trend over the past number of years, political leaders with the traits of tyrants. What is the attraction and what does it say about us in societal terms? We talk about it with Dr. Rick Hackett, Canada Research Chair in Organizational Behavior and Human Performance at McMaster University. Then we get a snapshot of the Calgary real estate market. We catch up with Justin Haver, realtor with Justin Haver & Associates, Remax First. Justin breaks down the latest sales data from July and a look ahead to what we can expect to see in the market this fall. And finally, it's the return of a Calgary favorite. Taste of Calgary takes place this weekend, featuring more than 65 local food and beverage vendors. We get the lowdown on the popular festival back after a two-year hiatus from event organizer Jennifer Rempel. Canada has supplied Ukraine with a number of long-range weapons like the M777 howitzer as part of Canada's $130 million aid package, but is it having the desired impact? With details, we are joined by Global News correspondent Ashley Stewart, live from Ukraine. Good morning to you, Ashley. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Before we get into the details on, you know, the impact that we're having with our donations and, uh, you know, directing toward these lethal weapons uh, to help Ukraine, give us a sense of, of what you're seeing and experiencing on the ground in Ukraine. Yeah, so obviously the war is very much still ongoing. It's moved from the north to the east. It's, it's a lot more concentrated in what's going on right now. And yeah, we were invited out yesterday to um, to see the M triple seven howitzers in operation in a very secret location in Kharkiv, in the country's east. So we really got a first hand experience of of the impacts that those those weapons that have been donated by NATO allies are having. Okay, so we know Canada and the Allies supplying weaponry like that howitzer you're talking about. Is that helping the frontline Ukraine forces turn the tide in this war? Or, you know, are we still seeing just a, a terrible situation where they need more help? It's, a, it's an interesting question. Obviously, the soldiers we spoke to are very careful to say that they are incredibly grateful for any and all support they're being given by by NATO allies and things like that. But it and and these these weapons are having an effect. So they've got a range of up to 30 kilometers, which means the Ukrainians can hit things from much further away and kind of save the the troops on the ground. But they are adamant that it's not enough. It's great to have, but it's not enough. They need more. They need more ammunition, and they really want those high miles from the U.S. So while they are grateful, they are also just desperate for more. What are you hearing as far as the morale from Ukraine forces and even citizens who've uh, rolled up their sleeves and, and joined the fight? Is there a sense of optimism? I think that optimism has not wavered. Um, it, it's obviously very hard to say because this war has now been dragging on for five months. These men are out in very hot conditions. They're, they haven't seen their families for long periods of time. They are, I mean, the morale for Ukrainians as a whole is incredibly high. And I think that that's certainly the case for the army. But there is a point where I think they're, that they're hitting with us saying, this is going on for long enough. Give us the weapons so we can end this faster. 
With uh, journalists from Global Television, Global News out there on the ground, are you hearing that, you know, Ukrainian forces are, are, are pleased with Canada and the help that our country has been providing? Or, or do, they, do they sort of have a sense of, you know, no, more needs to be done to help them, the ground forces? I think, as I kind of mentioned before, they're, they're they're very careful to say that they are they are thankful. They don't want to aggravate uh, anyone by saying by demanding they they need more and and saying that they're not being given enough. But I think at the end of the day, they are saying point blank. If you, I mean, one soldier specifically said this to us yesterday that. The only way they're going to win this is with more long-range artillery like the HIMARS system, and they need to be given that now so they can end the war faster. It's basically as simple as that. Having been stationed in Ukraine, Ashley, can you give us some sort of an insight as to how difficult is it for you on a day-to-day basis, for example, to get basic supplies like groceries, not only yourself, but what are you hearing from citizens? Are the the basic necessities easily accessible for citizens and, and people in the region like yourself? I mean, it really depends on where you are. In Kiev, life is pretty much normal. There's, everything is open. Supermarkets are open. Hairdressers are open. Cinemas are, cinemas are open. Those kind of things. But where we were uh, yesterday in the east, it is it is very difficult. You're waking up during the night to hear air raid sirens going off, and you're listening to the explosions. And your windows are rattling. Um, there's humanita- humanitarian aid being doled out in the parks around around town and there's huge lines for them so it really does depend it's kind of night and day depending on where in the country you are and it really really it's a totally different situation which is quite crazy i mean one of the soldiers we were talking to the other day said even people in kiev and lviv in the in different parts of the country don't understand how bad this war is in the country's east so yeah it it really does depend where you are from the ground on that uh, very soil in Ukraine. Thank you so much for your report this morning, Ashley. Appreciate it. Stay safe. No worries. Thanks, guys. Ashley Stewart, Global News Correspondent. From Trump to Putin, why are people attracted to so-called tyrants? Joining us to discuss is Dr. Rick Hackett, Canada Research Chair, Organizational Behavior and Human Performance at McMaster University. Good morning to you, Dr. Hackett. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I want to touch base and and start things off with an article that you co-penned called uh, From Trump to Putin, Why Are People Attracted to Tyrants? It's on the the conversation online. Uh, Great uh, article, by the way. Uh, But I'm wondering, to begin with, how do you define the term tyrant? Yeah, well, um, there is an established uh, definition uh, for a tyrant, and a tyrant is someone who has the attributes of being domineering, pushy, manipulative, loud, conceited, and being selfish. Yeah, and usually those traits are used in a way to dominate um, and influence through power others. And then we include the term populism or populist. How does this all sort of relate together when we're talking about current politicians like Donald Trump, like Vladimir Putin? Yeah, well, certainly. Um, And so uh, populism is a a political orientation whereby a leader attempts to appeal to ordinary people who feel that their concerns are being disregarded by established uh, elite groups. 
And, and to the extent that a leader is able to stoke these concerns and division between the elite and the popular mass, uh, it's to that leader's advantage. And what underlies this potency of influence is a belief in a dangerous world, a belief that the world is unfair and is dangerous to one's social and economic uh, well-being. So most tyrannical and authoritarian leaders benefit by stoking fears um, of this under, uh, of uh, stoking this orientation of a belief in a dangerous world, in creating divisions between what they perceive to be and the common people would perceive to be elites versus the common folk. Does it really matter at the time frame within history? And, you know, we're living through history as we move day to day ahead. But does it matter, uh, you know, as far as those social and economic conditions? Is, is it, is it uh, more ripe right now in our world for a tyrant to, to take power? Absolutely it is. Yeah, no, it's when, um, uh, when the environment is perceived to be most unstable, when one is feeling uh, that their social economic well-being is um, vulnerable in times of change um, when things are not so stable and predictable and tyrannical leaders uh, take advantage of these conditions by stoking the uh, belief in a dangerous world by stoking division, by playing up these dangers to the social, uh, to the uh, people's social economic um, livelihood, and um, yeah, so yeah, conditions are right for this. Absolutely, they are. Rick, do you feel like it seems there's an awful lot of anger in the world right now? Do, does does the ability for a tyrant to sort of rise to power come from the anger, or does the anger is the anger a result of the tyrant coming to power? It's both. It's both. So you know, when feel people feel threatened and legitimately so by the social economic uh, circumstances they're facing, um, and you know. Uh, immigration uh, is perceived as a threat, can be seen as a threat. Um, and, uh, you know, the change in the social order, a, a more liberal society, uh, breaking down of trade barriers, uh, free trade, um, can be perceived as an underlying threat to one's uh, social and economic uh, status and well being. And so this is often what uh, fuels um, the anger. So it's the conditions fueling the anger, but also our research and the research preceding ours also shows that there are people who are especially vulnerable um, to these sorts of uh, threats in their environment. And so there's a, uh, a concept we call belief in a dangerous world, and some people subscribe to that belief more than others, and it's those who are especially uh, vulnerable to such uh, tyrannical authoritarian leadership influences.
In the case of, of Donald Trump, which you have recognized and designated a tyrannical leader, I think a yeah. lot of the times we think of somebody like a Putin, you know, because it's a you know communist country. But we have seen the way that Donald Trump uses the media. The media has been vilified. Traditional media has been. And, and in the case of, uh, of uh, President Putin, uh, it's controlled uh, the media, the, the, his, his government. Is media a key part in uh, tyrannical leaders? Absolutely. Controlling the message that gets out there, again, underscoring the, um, uh, the uh, leader's ability to bring structure, order, authority um, to uh, what is otherwise perceived as a disorderly, threatening, unstable environment is uh, to the leader's advantage. So any uh, the control of information, social media, uh, the more uh, structured media is key and critical to their influence. Absolutely it is. And then in terms of populism, it feeds well into that too, right? So that, um, you know, it's a, it's a, divisive, a divisive approach, uh, dividing the educated elite, uh, professional, uh, the media against uh, the common folk um, in trying to accentuate that division. It's a fascinating article. We're going to send people to theconversation.com. Again, the article titled From Trump to Putin, Why Are People Attracted to Tyrants? Thank you so much for joining us, Rick. Appreciate your perspective this morning. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Rick Hackett, Canada Research Chair, Organizational Behavior and Human Performance at McMaster University. And, you know, a lot of ground to, to cover and, un, as the kids say these days, unpack when it comes to this topic. Sue, so we got a couple of texts going, what about Justin Trudeau? Well, you know, this is the article that Rick Hackett, uh, the Canada Research Chair, wrote mm-hmm. for theconversation.com. So we're just, we're, those were his words, and, and we want to discuss, uh, you know, the time that we're in, because it's a different time. And I think that our leaders are different than they would have been 20, 30 years ago, and he gave some great reasons for that. A hundred percent, and we, we tolerate a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I so. you know, I, yes, we got texts about Justin Trudeau, but we, we tolerate a lot from, you know, people like Donald Trump. The things he said while he was in power, I mean, it, you can argue whether you thought he was a good president or not, but some of the things he said and the, the you know, the, the people that he was making himself um, party to, like a Putin, like, um, you know, from uh, North Korea. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, we tolerate these things. And I think a lot of the time it's because we fall under those political party banners and we refuse to stray from them. During times of uncertainty, people are looking for a clear path. And a lot of these leaders have a clear path. Is it the right path? And I mean, it depends on your politics. I'm not here to judge anybody. But you look at the case of Donald Trump, these January 6th hearings have been going on and on and on. Have you ever seen that after the end of a president's reign? It's it's crazy times, uh, but it's it's good to explore. It's good to have these conversations. Yep. And how our leaders have changed. And do you remember, Sue, when politics, maybe a lot of the folks out there, if they're not the younger set, will remember, when politics were boring. I, I didn't mind that. <laughs> or we just didn't ever talk about it. Yeah. You never knew who somebody's political party or affiliation was with. No, that's a good point. It's, it's an interesting uh, study, and I, I'm not sure if we'll ever see a time like this again. I should bite my tongue. Should I sell my house? Is this a good time to buy? How hot is Calgary's housing market? Let's get some answers this morning from Justin Haver with Justin Haver and Associates of Remax First. Hi, Justin. Good morning, Sue. How are you this morning? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Nice and early to talk about this because it's still an ongoing issue, isn't it? it are we seeing, is it now a, a buyer's market, seller's market? What would you say we're at right now in the city of Calgary? 
Well, you know, one of the things that's happening here in Calgary right now is uh, not what's happening in the rest of Canada, and that is that our market is stable and undramatic. We have uh, just over two months of supply, which, oh, to be exact, 2.37 months of supply, which we define as a seller's market. So if there's no new listings hitting the market as of today, it would take us just over two months to absorb the entire inventory in our marketplace. So it's very active out there still. Seems like earlier this year, Justin, and maybe late last year, uh, bidding wars were very, very common. How common are they as we move deeper into the summer? You know, it's uh, it's very interesting because obviously earlier this year it was uh, a gong show out there with the bidding wars left, right, and center. Now we are still seeing bidding wars in the current marketplace. Not as many offers as we saw before and not as, uh, you know, high prices over asking price they have definitely calmed down a lot now another thing to note that we're seeing is a lot of people that you know got really exhausted in the market earlier this year because they were just getting beaten out in competing offers they are now re-entering the market because they feel like now it's a little bit calmer out there they will actually have a chance to obtain their next home and you know they will still be able to sell their house for a fair price in the market but it looks like prices are still higher than last year's levels and you know potentially staying there for some time or i mean i know it's it's tough to 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 know that but what what are your thoughts on pricing you know, the prices are up uh, considerable uh, over last year. Now, one of the things that I believe is really driving, you know, Calgary's economy is obviously the energy prices. And historically, when, when the energy prices are doing really well, so does the real estate market. And I don't foresee there being anything on the horizon that's going to indicate that we're going to see, you know, a crash in the energy prices or anything like that. And with unemployment sitting around 4.7%, you know, our economy is uh, firing on all cylinders and it's, uh, you know, a very great time to be here in Calgary economically. Justin, with the average, uh, with the rising rather interest rates and with some of the changes, it seems like we have changes to the mortgage rules every few months in our nation over the past few years. What are you hearing from clients? Is it a case that it's slowing them down or is it not stopping their progress to get in the home? You know, there's obviously when the cost of borrowing is going up and, um, the consumer has to change their expectations of the type of product they're going to buy. And we're seeing that, uh, you know, a lot of people are moving into, you know, the lower price points because of affordability and because of uh, higher interest rates. So that's why we're seeing a really big uptick in rural houses and apartments right now. And that's being primarily driven by affordability due to the higher interest rates. So row houses, is that apartments, does that include condos then? Is that sort of what people are after right now? Because it, it, it's obviously a, a lower cost, a lower ticket price? Correct. Yeah, the apartment, you know, the average price for an apartment here last month was uh, $278,800. So again, very affordable compared to other markets in Canada. And uh, row houses, townhouses, we're sitting at an average price of 362600 which is up by 15% over last year. How do I know which way to go, Justin? I mean, the price point is one thing if it's just completely based on that, but how do I know that the condo lifestyle is better for me than owning a house? What are some of the considerations that I have to take into mind? You know, I think the, the, the biggest decision that you have to make is, you know, around what your budget is and your affordability.
right? And, uh, you know, I don't recommend that you necessarily go and stretch the limit on what you can afford or what you're pre-approved for. Live within your budget and, uh, you know, again, you got to pick and choose what's suitable for your lifestyle, where you work, where you want to live, and how you want to live your life. Where you want to live is key. Do you see that people are starting to move out of the Calgary area and into some of the bedroom communities because of pricing? In some instances, and that's something that we've seen uh, a trend all year, basically. it's uh, It's been, you know, a big driver to the, uh, the activity in the bedroom communities in and around Calgary. And, uh, you know, we're also seeing people still coming from, you know, Ontario and uh, British Columbia as well. So, you know, again, I believe that Calgary is very affordable, including the surrounding communities, compared to other markets in Canada. Justin, in some cases, your circumstances, you know, force your decision to, to sell right away, to, to look for that new home, or uh, maybe, you know, this is the, the time where you have to, maybe due to health reasons, for example, downsize. But if I don't, if I, if I have that kind of time and I'm thinking about, you know, moving or making a change in the fall, how long ahead should I reach out to a realtor? And what sorts of things should I be doing right now to get ready? Well, I think the key factor right now, if you are going to have a mortgage, is to start the pre-approval process with your lender. Get that rate hold because what that will do for you is... Uh, lock in that rate for 90 to 120 days, depending on the lender. Now you have secure that rate if you're going with a fixed mortgage product. And if the interest rates continue to go up, which they perhaps may do, you then are locked in at the lower rate for that time period. So that will give you a timeline. And then it's uh, sitting down with uh, a trusted advisor to uh, guide you through the process, find out you know, again, what is best suitable for you and your family so that uh, you guys can put a plan of action into play. Always best to check with a realtor, get some help. It's a crazy market out there. Thank you for your help this morning, Justin. Always love talking to you. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too. Justin Haver, realtor with Justin Haver and Associates of Remax First. Easy website to remember, justinhaver.com. And they've got some great systems and plans in place. You know, we have some amazing realtors in the city of Calgary. And, you know, he and his team, I, I've worked with them. They're great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? It's, it's more than just, you know, lip service because... I'm, I'm joking up too, just thinking about it. I've moved more than any human being. <laughs> that you, you, you know, this is what they do for a living. But it can be nerve-wracking, and it's a mountain to climb to find a place, knowing that perhaps your place is on sale, and you get that offer, and you got to move quickly. That's why. And I mean, there's so many things you can do online right now, and it, it sounds like a commercial plug, Sue, but. I have a lot of friends who are realtors, mm-hmm. and the fact that they know everything at a moment's notice, and they're willing to hustle, and the hours that our realtors in the city work. You're not kidding. They put the hours in for us. And they are, I mean, yeah, they, they, you know, you earn good money, but boy, the hours you two put in, and especially in the last couple of years, uh, you, you know, they've earned all their paycheck for sure. Absolutely. Those bidding wars, I was hearing stories of cars lined up on the street. Yes, people they, lined yeah. up at the door, down yeah. the street for it. Calgary's iconic culinary Summer Street Festival, Taste of Calgary, is back after a two-year COVID break. With all the delicious details, we're joined this morning by Jennifer Rempel, Taste of Calgary event organizer. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning. Hey, we're excited that you are back. This is super exciting news. Two years for those who have forgotten, or maybe someone's new and has never experienced Taste of Calgary. Tell us all about the event. Well, Taste of Calgary is located in the west end of downtown in our new location. 
you just Google Calgary Parking Authority Lot 6, or we're on the corner of 4th uh, Avenue and 9th Street downtown, just before the Kensington Louise Bridge. Uh, we have over 65 uh, different vendors selling vendors, restaurants, food trucks, and distilleries and breweries, selling all sorts of sample size food and beverages and snacks and uh, great things to come down and eat. Let's talk about the tickets in that aspect, Jennifer, because I love it because you can eat a little or indulge yeah. in a lot. Your choice. Uh, how many tickets, for example, can you give us a range an item might be? So the items range anywhere from two to seven tickets. Of course, the two ticket ones are more the beverage style mm -hmm. and seven tickets are for the really delectable items. And so it gives you the opportunity. It's kind of a half size or a sample size. It's not full menu portions, but you can go around and try multiple different things. Um, our event runs on a ticketing system. So when you get here, you'll see uh, some ticket booths and we run on Taste of Calgary dollars. So you just change in your buy some dollars and go around and sample the different things on our site. And can we still get our tickets before we get down there, our taste tickets at tasteofcalgary.com? Can we buy them online? You can still buy them online, but only until 6 o'clock today. Mm -hmm. And then otherwise, um, you can buy them when you get here. We have uh, three large ticket booths with lots of volunteers ready to uh, sell you some tickets on site as well. Is there a better day to go, Jennifer? I know it kicks off tomorrow at 11 a.m., um, and goes right through to Sunday. It's interesting because you got that weekday and weekend mix. Is is there a better time to come? Well, uh, it's always a great time to come. I always say say come Thursday evening mm -hmm. because uh, the vendors are fresh and uh, they're <laughs> they're pumping that food out quickly. By the time Sunday comes around, they're a little tired. But uh, and uh, there's lots of interesting things and if you come on thursday and you didn't get to sample some item that you really wanted to because you just ran out of room you can come back on friday and try it circle back yeah Good call that's andy's deal come back every day yeah <laughs> makes sense and the best part is admission is free right you're only paying for the taste tickets which are a buck each yes so admission is free and uh, there is parking in the area. It is a little bit limited, but we're two stops, two um, blocks away from the uh, C-Train station, as well as just over the bridge from Kensington. So there's lots of opportunities how to get here. Perfect. Once again, tasteofcalgary.com. Thanks, Jennifer, for joining us. Thank you. Jennifer Rempel is Taste of Calgary event organizer.